Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Illus Podcast. Um, I'm here with my co-host, Roni. Say hey, Roni. Hey, guys. What's up, everybody? My name is William Yank, and I wanted to welcome everyone. We have a special guest today. Her name is Alan Rose, and I would like you all to welcome her to the podcast. Alan is what we call a, a pre-viber. Um, her mom and grandma both had breast cancer, giving her the likely predisposition to getting um, the disease or getting breast cancer. And so to reduce her chances of developing uh, that breast cancer, she had a double mastectomy and reconstruction completed. So what she's trying to do pretty much is, you know, reduce her chances of developing the breast cancer and um, giving her a better chance at a long life without that issue. Uh, she's a public speaker and activist for the breast cancer community, and she has her own nonprofit, thepreviver.org. Uh, she's given her own TED Talk, been a guest on Good Morning America, runs her own blog, and works to spread the word on preventative health care. She's the first Sports Illustrated model to have a double mastectomy and reach the top 16 during selections and even competed in the 2013 Miss America pageant. Let's welcome Alan to the show. <laughs> What's up, Alan? How are you doing? Hey, guys. I'm doing great. Good, good. That was quite an introduction. Thank you. I would like to have that on uh, record and play it everywhere. <laughs> It'd be nice, right? Just give everybody your life story real quick. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Can you just tell us about yourself, um, your story, where you grew up, like all about yourself. Yeah, sure. So um, I am actually from a teeny tiny town in Southern Maryland um, called Newburgh. And I mean, I swear we probably have 10,000 people, something like that. Um, Yeah, but uh, growing up, I kind of moved to the the big city um, in the D.C. metro area, went to the University of Maryland, um, and I was really kind of that offbeat kid. I played guitar in a punk rock band, you know, never worn a dress, makeup, a day in my life, and... uh, (laughs) went to college and said, you know, I want to kind of redefine myself and try something different. So I joined a sorority and there you it go. ended up not being the real cool girl sorority, but it, the only one that was sort of let me in <laughs> the, the weirdo that I was, which I appreciated later because they were my real friends. Um, but I saw this uh, email that went out about this breast cancer charity beauty pageant. And I thought, you know what, my mom would have loved for me to do something like this. I yeah. lost my mom when I was 16. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to throw my hat in the ring and, and do my best. So I called on all of my most beautiful, capable, girly friends to kind of do the the Cinderella moment, you know, <laughs> put lipstick on the pig, teach me how to how to be a girl. <laughs> um, and I ended up winning this little charity pageant. And uh, I really say that that moment sort of catapulted me into the next chapter because yeah. I got, you know, a, a little cocky at that point. And I said, okay, well, you know, if I can win this little pageant, why don't I try the Miss Maryland pageant? Heck yeah. And um, I just threw myself into it. And, you know, being such an outsider, I just went on YouTube, I started researching, you know, I, I watched these incredibly beautiful, well-spoken women. And I thought, I'm way out of my league, but let's see if I can put put it all together and try. Yeah. Um, and, you know, long story yeah. short, I ended up going to Miss USA. And then after that, Miss America. And it really just completely changed my life. I got to, to travel the world advocating for the cause that was important to me, which was breast cancer prevention. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, I think that's really what, what brings me here today was when I was a Miss America contestant, um, my, my story about having a preventive double mastectomy went viral and it went all over the world. I mean, we're talking 300, 400 million homes, uh, 30 to 40 countries. I mean, people were sending me the covers of newspapers all over the world. It just was this, you know, really kind of powerful moment. And I think it just took people aback that someone who worked, you know, in the beauty industry, you know, somebody who'd done pageants, things like that would be so willing to, to give up this essential part of their femininity, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, And for me, uh, I wanted to be alive. And that was the most important thing for me. And I think when you, you lose someone close to you at a really young age, it gives you that long-term perspective of you got to be proactive. You know, your life is not guaranteed. Um, And so I had my, my mastectomy and um, ended up packing my bags. I moved to Germany, met my husband, um, started a nonprofit and, you know, here we are. It's been a wild journey. Yeah. Chills everywhere. That whole story, I had chills the entire time. <laughs> um, it's, it's really been a crazy time. Would you be able to kind it's, of explain to our listeners, for those that don't really know, what a double mastectomy is? Because I think a lot of people understand that, okay, it has something to do with breast cancer and maybe removing a boob or what. Like, what is that? Would you be able to? Absolutely. So uh, mastectomy is really simply put the removal of breast tissue from your body. So when um, you are a breast cancer patient, you've obviously had some sort of um, cancer develop in that tissue, but it can also develop in your milk ducts or lymph nodes in the surrounding area. Sure. So when you have a preventive mastectomy like I do, what they go, they do is go in and basically remove all of that breast tissue preventatively. Okay. Um, Sometimes they can remove your nipple, they can remove the milk ducts, all of that. Um, I was lucky I had a really fantastic surgeon who was able to kind of do what they call a skin sparing procedure where they, they basically kept the outside and just got rid of the inside. So nice. I would describe it like, kind of like carving a pumpkin. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're just getting the, you know, all the seeds <laughs> out of there. That's fascinating. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty fantastic what they can do for women from a reconstructive standpoint to make them look, you know, almost as good as they did before sometimes better yeah Um, and you're taking your risk if you are somebody who carries a breast cancer gene from maybe 87 percent down to one two percent and i like those odds no yeah go ahead roni so you had a predisposition for for breast cancer like did you have the BRCA gene or so i actually am breast cancer gene mutation negative and that kind of shocks people uh when they hear that but because of oh, my very family, interesting. yeah, because of my family history, it was my mom, my grandmother, my great aunts, and my mom was diagnosed with a stage three invasive breast cancer at 27, and she had a reoccurrence in the other breast 20 wow. years later and passed away. And what my wow. doctor said is, look, we don't, you don't have the breast cancer gene mutation, but you probably have some sort of mutation we just can't test for yet. Mm-hmm. And it would be advantageous for you to just go ahead have this surgery when you're young, when you're healthy, when you can recover. Recover well, yeah. Exactly. You can look fine and then not have to look over your shoulder for the rest of your life. Yeah. I think think that's important to talk about that, like, you might not even know that you have a predisposition, but just having a family history of it. Absolutely. Um, And I'm a big advocate on on knowing your family history, because that is one of the the number one precursors when it comes to will you develop a certain disease in your lifetime? And so much of it is your family history. I mean, obviously, it's not always the case. Uh Um, There are some things that just occur, you have Mm -hmm. random mutations, but 
Um, most of the time, if you look far enough back in your family history, you'll see it there. Yeah. Um, wow. Could you, so that makes, for those that are trying to understand that, so she did this, you know, preventatively to uh, reduce her chances of getting breast cancer. That makes her a previvor. So we obviously hear of survivor, Roni and I are survivors, different things like that, cancer survivors or cancer patients. Um, Alan has not had breast cancer. She's just reduced her chances of doing that. Yeah. And so I kind of wanted you to define previvor, if that's okay, or like what that means to you. Um, It's the nonprofit that you run. It's uh, not just a business for you, though. This is um, you're really trying to prevent people from dying from this illness. Uh, yeah. What, what does that mean to you? Absolutely. So the word uh, previvor is actually a word that was coined back in around 2006. And it is uh, pr- surviving a predisposition to cancer. So mm-hmm. instead of survivor, you're a previvor. Yep. Um, and that has really been a, a term that has sort of been, you know, set on fire in the, in the media and people are really coming to know that this is an option for them. Yeah. So there are a lot of young women who are choosing to undergo preventive surgery. Um, I had my mastectomy before Angelina Jolie came public with her revelation. So I was about to say, oh, yeah, this, yeah. this was a really, um, you know, kind of wild thing. And I think that's why I had this viral moment mm-hmm. because nobody had really openly talked about it or you've had one or, one or two people here and there, but it had really not um, taken hold of the, the public's attention. Yeah. Um, and then right after uh, I started talking about it, Angelina Jolie came public and it really sparked what they call actually the Angelina Jolie effect. And that's more women being tested for um, gene mutations and then opting to have a surgery like this. That's cool. And so for me, after uh, I'd gone through this procedure, I'd recovered, you know, I worked a little bit in the cancer community. Um, I wanted to, to do something to help women. Yeah. And, you know, well, you and I had chatted a little bit about it before where I said, it's so hard when you're trying to get into the, the cancer world, so to speak. Yeah. You don't want to just continue to add to the noise of this already really oversaturated market um, and pull attention away from places that really need it. Mm-hmm. So I said, if I'm going to do a nonprofit, if I'm going to have some sort of organization, it needs to be unique. And I had just been contacted for years and years about um, what women's reconstructive options were. You know, it was yeah. really easy to go into a doctor's office, get a diagnosis. Uh, hey, I have the gene mutation. They'd have the surgery, but they didn't know that there were actually, instead of one option, 19 different options. Oh, jeez. You know, okay, I didn't even know options. that. Yeah. Yeah. And so for, for these women, um, it's so important to know what's best for your body. So a lot of women don't want a breast implant and they don't know that they can actually use their own body tissue to reconstruct their breast. Okay. Or some people are really thin and they can't reconstruct with their own tissue, but they use a breast implant or they decide to go flat. They don't want to reconstruct. There are all these different choices for women. And I wanted to create this kind of easily digestible, safe place for women to come learn about their options without having that, terrifying thing of when you google mastectomy oh my gosh horrible yeah yeah, horrible photos people have been butchered they have bad results 
I wanted to say, you know, this doesn't have to be the most defining moment of your life. Yeah. Here are your options. Put yourself back in the driver's seat when it comes to your healthcare choices and advocate for yourself with your doctors. And that's kind of where the pre-viver was born. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Roni, what, what are you thinking? Yeah, I want to hear your thoughts, mm-hmm. seriously. No, my, I, I, I'm wondering, um, so at what age do you recommend like girls, women to go find out if they have a predisposition and to like be like active about um, their health? Well, it, personally, Venting. I think you're never too young, but this is always a moral and ethical dilemma. Yeah. Right? You, know, you, you want to find out when you're prepared to handle those sort of um, results, essentially, because say if you're a 16 year old, you're going in, you're finding out you have a predisposition to breast cancer that means that you might have an 87% chance of developing in your lifetime. That's a lot to deal with. Yeah. But I would say the the most important thing is for women to start doing self-breast exams, to be aware of, you know, kind of the terrain of their body, get to know what's normal for them. And then as they get a little bit older, should they choose to be tested um, for a breast cancer gene mutation? Maybe they have a strong family history. Mm-hmm. Um, they got to do it when it's right for them. Yeah. But obviously, the, the sooner, the better. Um, knowledge is power for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Very interesting. Alan, you. you talked about, um, you know, preserving femininity. And I, okay, this might sound like weird for a guy to talk about. So just completely cut me off I'm wrong but (laughs) we we kind of talked about how me like keeping your nipple was a big deal like keeping your nipples are a big deal can we kind of go into that on like the femininity side like what that does mean to be a woman for and Roni I would love for you to clue in on this how important is that to you as a young girl having that you know nipple there and like having boobs and not being flat you know it's obviously it's personal preference for everybody but um yeah Can we talk about that a little bit? Sure. So obviously your breasts, no matter who you are, they are a part of your femininity in the way that you see yourself. Mm -hmm. I think that's just a a part of being a woman. Um, For some women, it's a a stronger feeling than others. Um, For me, I didn't realize how important my breasts were to me until I had the surgery, until they weren't there anymore. Yeah. you know, like I had said before, I was kind of a tomboy. The way that I looked was really in the back of my mind. And I know that sounds crazy coming from somebody who was in beauty pageants, <laughs> but that's, it's just not how I defined myself. Yeah. I didn't think that this was an important identifying part of uh, how I was able to look at myself. That's beautiful. But when I had my mastectomy and I looked in the mirror before my reconstruction and I had no breasts and it just was a very, very challenging time to be able to be content with the person that I was from a physical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to to keep my nipples and keep some semblance of normalcy, if that makes sense, yeah. was really important. And so I was very fortunate, like I said, to have this great surgical team who could do that without increasing my risk of breast cancer. Because sometimes they say the more tissue that you leave, you're leaving that small kind of microscopic risk of potentially developing cancer. But based on all their recent studies, um, almost every woman should be able to have a skin sparing procedure. Awesome. And I think that's, that's very, very important for the women who would like to preserve them because, you know, the way that you look, whether people want to admit it or not affects how you face the world. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Yes. Just how it is. For sure. Yep. For sure. 
100%. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I didn't experience, I didn't have a mastectomy at all, of course. Um, but my body did change a lot um, with like the, all the cancer that I went through and all of the side effects um, and the, you know, the medication, the steroids, everything changed the way that my body looked. And I definitely um, felt like less feminine because of that. Right. Like breath, like whatever it was that was affected anything, mm-hmm. like my entire body. But um, but it definitely affects your femininity. And I can't imagine what it would be like if I had to remove like my breasts, yeah. you know? Something that's like external, be- Roni. I remember you talking about the removal of your ovaries and things like that for your um, birth or your yeah. uh, fertility, right? Preservation, preservation yeah. yeah and I remember you discussing yeah. about how that for you was uh like a, that's a serious thing that's that's part of you as a woman right and I, yeah. I think it's it would be even more difficult I could see it being even more difficult removing your breasts the physical aspect that shows it of your femininity yeah but that would be difficult yeah and yeah and like Alan said like it wasn't until after they removed my ovaries that I recognized like what that meant for wow. me, you know, as a woman, I was really young at the time, of course. So maybe it didn't like really kick in yeah. at the moment I'm having my ovaries removed. But later on in life, I was like, my ovaries are <laughs> like, <laughs> I still want to have kids <laughs> and my ovaries are gone. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, I'm like, and that's definitely the yeah. case for women who carry breast cancer gene mutation as well, because it's not just breast cancer that you're predisposed to. It's, it's ovarian cancer as well. Um, Very true. And so women are now having to face that really tough decision of whether to uh, kind of speed up their family planning before treatment Mm. or um, have their ovaries removed before they've made the decision whether or not they want to have children or not, or to go through the IVF process and freeze their eggs and, you know, all, all of these sort of things that are really, really young age. Um, And it's hard. I mean, it's, it's, it's very tough being a woman and having to really decide between your health and your femininity. Yeah. It's big decisions to make when you're so young. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Do, do you feel that like you have your femininity back? Was that like a temporary feeling? Do you still feel that way? Well, I think I realized after having this surgery and going through these really boohoo, woe is me <laughs> feelings, um, even after reconstruction, that the way that the the way that I felt was all in my own head and it wasn't that the world was looking at me differently or uh, I was being I don't know taken in by everyone in some different way it was all in my own head and I was getting in my own way when it came to accomplishing the things that I, I wanted to do and I remember kind of looking in the mirror and even though from a physical standpoint I looked fine. No one would be able to tell that I had this sort of procedure. Mm -hmm. Um, I still just kept focusing in on, oh, I have all these scars. Oh, my body doesn't look the same. Everybody notices that I've had a mastectomy. And that was kind of the crazy thing. I just thought people were staring at me all the time. Interesting. (laughs) It's totally crazy. But it wasn't until um, I, I was working this really crappy job. And I ended up losing my job. And one day I came home, um, I got on Instagram and I saw that Sports Illustrated was having this open casting call. And they said, you know, anybody all over the world can submit a 60 second video 
um, and, and be entered to potentially be in the magazine. And I said, you know what? Screw it. This has been the worst day ever. I'm just going to, I sat in my closet. I filmed this little video, uploaded it to the internet, you know, forgot about it. Um, and two days later, I get the call from Sports Illustrated and they said, hey, come to Miami. We want to meet you. We want to hear about wow. your story. That's cool. Um, and it was that moment that I think really turned the tide for me and had that shift where I said, I'm not incapable of accomplishing these big, huge things that I wanted to do in my life to, to be bold, to take risks, take yeah. chances. It's, it's me holding myself back. And I would say like that moment kind of gave me my groove back. And from that moment forward, I said, you know what? I'm beautiful. Scars are not. And I'm not going to let this procedure be the defining moment of my life. That's cool. That's empowering. You are so wow. inspiring. Uh, <laughs> guys, yeah. we're going to become best friends, okay? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, about myself. Thank you. No, but really, honestly, I, I don't know. You're making me feel like I need to do all these things. I don't know. <laughs> Well, you to get my group. beautiful, <laughs> young, got it. No, I know, <laughs> oh, I know you. scars are a big thing for Roni and I talk about scars all the time. I had my own scars from septic shock that still kind of are all over my body. One on my shoulder, forearm and leg constantly asked if they're tattoos. But and I always think when I go out or something that like you said, people are looking at them, but mm -hmm. slowly I've begun to realize, no, that's just you thinking about like I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just me thinking I have this audience that's not actually there. Right, so, right. And sometimes I'm like, I need to thanks. stop giving myself so much credit here. Nobody's paying that much. <laughs> yes, in yes. World, We're not as right? cool as we think we are. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Oh. No, I, I get that too, like all the time, whenever I'm walking and like, especially when I would walk around with my cane, like mm -hmm. how that the whole world is looking at me and everyone knows about my scars and everyone knows exactly what I went through. And, and then it turns out that they're like not even looking at me or they're looking at me for a completely other reason. And sometimes they're looking at me for my cane. I feel like that's definitely <laughs> happening. But, um, but it's not as, um, as problematic as I think it is. Like it's not, I'm not right. every single person cares about anyone but themselves. So yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I think people are more yeah. self-absorbed than you would assume. So I always have to take a step back when I'm starting to feel insecure in a moment. I'm like, these people are probably thinking about the spinach stuck in their own teeth. They're yeah. not looking at whatever insecurity I have in my head. So it's fine. That's so great. So it's so true. It's, it's cool that you're able, sorry. No, go ahead, Roni. Okay. Okay. It's cool that you're able to sort of um, recognize that it's like in your head that people are looking at you. Like, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it's hard to, like, get to that realization that it's not that everyone is really looking at you and it's no one really knows. Like, for me, at least, it's like that, that it's hard for me to to sort of separate the two, like what's in my own head and what's reality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, good for you. basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I kind of wanted to move forward with preventative medicine having you know been a part of preventing or trying to prevent your breast cancer have you um roni clue on this in on this too uh what you've kind of dipped into that niche or that 
I don't even know what to call it. I'm at a loss for words. Chemo brain's killing me right now. Uh, <laughs> you've kind of dipped into that market per se of the preventative cancer and stuff like that. What are there any other things that you know about preventative medicine or anything like that that you've um, picked up on? I know there's Roni and I have discussed things like diet and you know sunscreen and all those other things for skin or your other areas of your health. Have you looked into that at all, or is um, I think the main focus for you is breast cancer? What, what do you... The main focus is breast cancer, but obviously um, I'm getting a little bit older. I'm a woman of a certain age, and I think that you you start to realize that um, you really need to take a, a holistic approach to your health. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, that means keeping up with you know a, a, an organic food lifestyle, making sure that the the products that I'm putting on my body aren't giving me cancer right back exactly yeah yeah. i think that um that's hard because you feel you feel bombarded from every sort of direction right Mm -hmm. you know you can't wash your hair put some lotion on your dry ankles you know yeah uh, do anything really without basic hygiene correct with like uh, carcinogens everywhere and so um i try not to get too overwhelmed with it Mm -hmm. um and have those moments of freak out where, Oh, you just can't possibly stay on top of it. But I think you're doing the best you can, you know, within, within budget, because these things start to add up. And and I think also too, is just keeping your stress level down. You know, my, I really do think that my, my mom's uh, reoccurrence of her breast cancer so much had to do with the lifestyle that she was living. Mm -hmm. It was this, fast paced, go, go, go. She was the primary breadwinner in the family. So much responsibility was placed in her shoulders. It was just constantly, you know, work, 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 and then managing three children and a husband, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's, it wears on you. And, um, when you're somebody who already has those sort of creeping cancer cells in your body, I do think that if you're able to sort of practice, um, within reason, a lifestyle of, staying as calm as you can, learning not to be anxious, finding out what your triggers are. I think that's, that's important for your health as well. Yeah. A stress-free life as, as much as you can make it. It's a tall order, but uh, absolutely important. For sure. So um, there are a bunch of cancers that are preventative, preventable, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Um, And uh, I just thought we could talk about like a few things or, at least that I researched that um, can help prevent cancer. Mm-hmm. Hit them, Roni. Um, Do it. Knock it out. Let's so, hear it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, okay. Don't use tobacco. <laughs> yes. Of course. Because that could lead to not just um, lung cancer, but like breast cancer, like throat cancer, cervical, bladder, mouth, um, all yes. of those. And probably more. Um, so you could quit at any time if you're a smoker. Um yeah, so you can still sort of prevent anything that could happen to you later in life, even if you've been smoking. Um, protect your skin from the sun. So sunscreen. Yeah, yeah. very I, important. Myself, <laughs> very important. Yeah, for sure. Like I, I had melanoma, um, probably as a side effect from the radiation that I had to treat the leukemia. Um, and that is, um, I think, 1% of skin cancers are melanoma. Um, so I got super lucky. <laughs> it's not even actually, I don't even know. It's usually a very, um, genetic cancer. 
So like my whole family had to be tested and all of that. Um, but no one in my family had it other than me. Mm. So it's most likely just from the radiation uh, that I had. I did not know that. Thank um, you, Ronnie. That's good to know. Yeah, <laughs> Even though it's not considered a, a, a common side yeah. effect of radiation, mm -hmm. there's like, I think squamous cell okay. is, uh, is, but not melanoma. Okay. So I just got unlucky. Um, eat a healthy diet. Yep. That's like Organic super foods. important. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, but also I just want to say that even if you do all of these things, you know, you're still not guaranteed to Amen. be okay. Like I know. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't that suck? I, it, can... It's just sort of like helping. Right. Why? I said, doesn't that suck? Yeah. I tell people all the time. They yeah, say, exactly. I, you know, I have these critics who say, you know, you've mutilated your body. Why would you do something like this? Why won't you just uh, eat a healthy lifestyle, be proactive? And when my mom was diagnosed with cancer the first time, she was a marathon runner with a raw food diet, lived in Hawaii, oh. you know, happiest, most content wow. human on earth, healthiest person you could ever meet running 10 miles a day. And this person developed a stage three breast cancer at 27 yeah. years old. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people who want to give you advice and tell you what, you know, I don't know, smoothie or essential oils you need to use to stave off cancer. So. <laughs> we spoke about We've that. literally talked about that, like, last year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's a lot. Just, so, I mean, all you can do is, is the best that you can, put your best foot forward, you know, exercise, diet, et cetera, and yeah. really yeah. just cross your fingers. I think. That was the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Exercise, for sure. Um, it says here practice safe sex and avoid risky behaviors yeah, true absolutely <laughs> so to prevent like HPV mm -hmm. um, um, vaccinations for like hepatitis and yep. HPV could also help prevent certain cancers um, and like you said already um, know your knowing your family yeah, history, medical medical history. history and, and getting yeah regular cancer screenings I, I always tell people who reach out to me you know asking you know they'll send me pictures and they'll be like you had melanoma can you tell me if this is melanoma <laughs> you're and like I, what? first oh. and foremost i'm like i am not a doctor right. <laughs> please if you like if you're worried about anything go to the doc even if you're not worried just get screened all the time like why why not yeah. you know you're not losing anything um so yeah i always advocate for screenings because it's just it's one way that you can help prevent something that could, you know, God forbid, like kill you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so why not just go to that half hour appointment, not even 20 minute doctor appointment um, once a year, right. you know? Well, and, and I um, think that's, that's something that's really important to talk about as well is, is advocating for those screenings because sometimes you'll go to the doctor. And I mean, even in my case, um, I went to talk to a physician about having this preventive surgery and he looked at me like, I had two heads yeah. and when I asked for a mammogram or I asked for kind of a baseline MRI, just so I said, look, I'm creeping up on 27. You know, I was at the time and I said, my mom was diagnosed stage mm -hmm. three at this point. Can I at least get a screening? And he basically just scoffed at me. Uh. And so it's so important to find good doctors who are going to advocate for you who, um, and I mean, if you have to push back, push, and that sucks that you have to be your own advocate with the doctor sometimes, but um, particularly if you have a family history, push for those initial screenings. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting that you say that actually, because I, 
I was told um, that I had a higher risk for breast cancer mm-hmm. because I had radiation to the ch- to my entire body, but um, a, with a boost to the chest. Okay. So any organs and you know tissue in this area is just that higher risk for problems. Um, and I brought up like, is this something that I need to be proactive about? Like, do I need to do anything um, like about uh, removing tissue? And at the time, I wasn't talking to a specialist in, you know, this area, but I was talking to um, an oncologist mm-hmm. and they told me, you know, I don't think you need to worry about that. Your risk is higher, um, but I don't know if it's high enough to like have that. Du-. They, they basically just were trying to get me off the topic. Yeah. But I thought it was really important to talk about because what like, you know, they've seen that I've had um problems that aren't typically expected mm-hmm. so why not just be proactive about it but yeah i thought that was, that that was interesting that it was sort of shut down yeah. really quickly um but i yeah i definitely should talk to someone who's um a little bit more of an expert in the area yeah, yeah i mean just getting getting a screening is, is really no big deal whether that's getting a mammogram or i mean maybe in your case just having a baseline mri so that you have that information and even if you're doing it once every three years or five years you know if there's been any changes yeah and For you sure. know it's not i'm getting a i'm sorry go ahead no, no i'm sorry <laughs> i was said i'm getting an mri and mammogram this week oh good <laughs> for that Heck yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. but that that was my doctor wanted that yeah i'm at the age now where i need them yeah. yearly well all right there's a less than a minute on the zoom thing but don't worry about that because there's a few more things i want to get into here I don't know if that's okay. Um, sure. Zoom call-ins, but uh, Zoom call- yeah. yeah anyway. No, that's okay. Um, yeah. Everyone, if you could take a second and go watch uh, Alan's TED talk, that would be great. Um, you get a under- better understanding of what she went through and everything. Um, it was a really good talk just about uh, breast cancer and preventative health care and stuff like that. But um, one thing you referenced to, and I hope you don't mind if I get a little deep here, but um, how did you feel about your mom not removing the second breast uh it's something that you mentioned in the talk um to reduce her chance of cancer after she had the first one um sure so yeah yeah um, how was that at your age my mom had a unilateral mastectomy so one one one-sided mastectomy um with her first cancer Mm -hmm. and back 40 years ago when she did that it was a really invasive procedure. So we're talking mastectomy all the way down to the chest wall, essentially um, multiple rounds of radiation. And it basically just destroyed that side of her body and eliminated any chance of being able to, to reconstruct that breast in any sort of meaningful way. Okay. Um, And so I knew my Mm -hmm. mom basically my entire life with, with one breast and that's just how she was. But for years, my dad begged her, um, please get the other one removed. This is a ticking time bomb. Why, why would you keep it? You know, he always joked uh, that he said the way that my mom knew that my dad was the one um, they were, they started dating, you know, the first time they go to mess around a little bit, my mom has to stop him and say, actually, there's something that I didn't tell you about. I had breast cancer and I only have one boob. And he's, she said he looked her straight in the eyes and said, I'm a leg guy. (laughs) And so (laughs) nailed it. Yeah, exactly. Wow. That's, that's perfect. It was a Kobe dating moment. 
Um, but I mean, we just kept reminding her of this. He said, look, I don't care what you look like. Yeah. I want you to be around for the next 60 years. And I really think you're doing yourself mm-hmm. a disservice by not keeping uh, or by keeping your breast. And my mom decided not to remove it, I think, for a lot of reasons. But one of them being it was the the last vestige of her femininity. Yeah. Back and, to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. the idea of potentially living the rest of her life with no breasts, I think, was kind of an overwhelming feeling. And it's it's interesting looking back because my mom was really similar to me in the sense that she was a bit of a tomboy. Um, you know, she was all business. And I just I can't wrap my mind around her not being more proactive because she was so proactive in every other aspect of her life. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. like we talked about before, how you feel as a woman and how you're able to face the world is such a strong pull, whether you realize it's affecting you or not. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. she opted not to remove that breast. And unfortunately, my my uncle was diagnosed with small cell lung cancer um, and he died a month after his diagnosis. And I think that wow. was her wake up call. Mm-hmm. So, hey, I need to go and get this preventive mastectomy. Let's just get rid of it. I don't want to have to worry about it. So she goes in for mm-hmm. that um, basically pre-op mammogram. And this is when they discover another stage three invasive breast yeah. cancer on the other side. And it just was too late at that point. It was, yeah. you know, yeah. at almost started to metastasize. It did metastasize, um, you know, as the cancer progressed. And, you know, for a long, long time, I was really angry at my mom for for not being proactive. And I just thought, how, how could you do this? Not only to yourself, but to your family. And now looking back, I think that's really unfair because as a woman, uh, coming into my thirties, you know, I, I, I can empathize with those same emotions mm-hmm. and going through the procedure myself. And I'm somebody who had probably one of the best cosmetic outcomes that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel good. I look good um, from a cosmetic standpoint, but I still was having those emotions. So I can't imagine what it was like for someone who had essentially been mutilated before with this cancer treatment, having yeah. to face that again. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, it definitely brings a lot of emotions. And I think now the more that we learn about how, how metastatic cancer works, very likely she had some metastases, you know, floating around in her body and that's why the cancer developed and it really wouldn't have made a difference had she removed the breast or not. Um, but Uh it, it was certainly something that, that affected me for a long time. And I wished that she had been, a little more proactive in her own life. And it was a motivating factor for me to kind of take charge of, of my health. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's so beautiful that you took what your mom did and kind of learned from that. And in your talk, you discussed how you, it kind of transformed your view of femininity and how you wanted to be around for your children, right. And be a mother and different things like that. And that was just, wow. Cool. Well, and that's uh, yeah. a perfect segue right now. I just found out a couple weeks ago that I'm pregnant. So oh, I congratulations. congratulations. Thank you so much. Oh. Hopefully, wow. be around and be healthy for, for my future child and my husband. And so it's it's really opening up kind of a whole new meaning for me. And I'm just so grateful that it's in 
in my past and not something that I'm going to have to worry about. Yeah. When my children are around. Wow. That's amazing news. That's so cool. Thank you. So happy to hear that. Yeah. It's exciting. Um, it's great. For sure. Well, I just wanted to thank you so much for, for being here today. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that our listeners are going to love this episode because you are just so inspiring and your story is incredible. And it's so um, like educational, honestly, like, thank you for sharing that with us today. Yeah. And well, I'm uh, so honored yeah. to, to be part of the podcast and to, to chat with you guys and also with your audience. I think, you know, knowledge is power. And the more we're all able to connect, you know, it's kind of a weird field out there with survivors, pre-vivers, uh, metastatic thrivers, you know, we all yeah. kind of feel like we're in our, our different pockets, our own little lanes. Mm -hmm. But I think it's so important that we all talk to each other because, you know, everyone's needs these little kind of nuggets of information and maybe um, it can help somebody down the road. So I'm, I'm really honored to, to be part of the podcast today. That's cool. That's really cool. Thank yeah, you. thank you so much. And I have one last random question as a male. I don't know if anyone else is thinking about this. And uh, this is going to be a pretty naive question. But can you still breastfeed after you've had the mis uh, mastectomy? Not a naive question at all. I cannot. And so that, you know, opens up sort of a whole other uh, emotional chapter there because, you know, I think every woman would like to breastfeed. It's yeah. What's, you know, best for the, the baby. Okay. Um, but, you know, my mom only had one breast and she did her, her best to try to breastfeed a little bit. But Hell I yeah. I was a formula baby. You know, most people my age uh, back then, nobody wanted to breastfeed. It wasn't cool. Everyone wanted to be a formula baby. So, yeah. Um, you know, they, yeah. they say breast is best, but also fed is best. Yeah, so. that's damn straight. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Roni, do you have anything else you want to add? Also. Uh, no, I, yeah, no, I was also curious about the breastfeeding, um, but that's it. I have no further questions. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, thank you so much again, Ellen, for coming on the show. Illus Podcast listeners, thank you again for coming in and tuning in with us. Um, again, merch is live. It's there. Um, feel free to get yours and cop it quick. And yeah, thank you all for listening. Let us know if you have any questions. Hit us in our DMs. And uh, yeah, make sure to go follow Alan Rose. All of her stuff will be in the description. So thank you. Stay, Stay ill, guys. See ya. Bye. Thank you.